Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to this show on Islam channel called Islam Q&A. And inshallah for the next hour we'll be inshallah uh, trying to answer your questions. And uh, what I'm going to start with is the uh, name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Amma ba'd. What I want to mention is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, made for the human being uh, everything pretty much uh, which is out there. And uh, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us cure for many things and therapies for many, many things. So we need to y use those therapies uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned. I'll give you an example. Uh, I was in America once. I'd gone there for leading the taraweeh prayer and I was staying with this brother. Uh, there was this brother that I was staying with and uh, he uh, had a spare room for me in Ramadan because his family was visiting um, their family. So I stayed in that room and after Taraweeh went to sleep and then suddenly about two hours later or something, I suddenly woke up. The reason I woke up is because there was uh, a light on. So there was a touch lamp in that room, you know, the one you touch and then it comes on, you touch it again and then it comes on a bit brighter and you touch it again and then it goes off. So there was a long touch lamp in there and it was on the other side of the room and it suddenly came on in the middle of the night. So I was like, oh, what happened there? Why did it come on? Because there was nobody else there that had come into the room. So then I mentioned this in the morning. I mentioned this to the brother I was staying with. And uh, mashallah, he says, do you know what? You know, in that room, my son, that's my son's room. And he saw the shaitan in that room. I was like, okay, thank you very much. That's really comforting to know, right? I mean, shaitan everywhere, but then he saw the shaitan. Um, so I was like, okay, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna be very interesting. And then he said, well, ho uh, listen to the story. He said that I was in the other room and suddenly my son, uh, he was saying, Baba, Baba, I can see the shaitan or Baba. He was just calling on to me. So I quickly woke up and I ran to that room and from the door, I saw that he was saying, Baba, I can see the shaitan. I can see the shaitan. So he, uh, so I told him now, uh, many of us, what we would have probably done is we would have gone and run to the child and picked him up and comforted him and said, don't worry, it's nothing like that. Actually, what this father did was amazing, right? He said that uh, from the doorway, as far as I remember, he said from the doorway, he said, Read Ayatul Kursi. And the kid, he knew Ayatul Kursi. So he started reading Ayatul Kursi. Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum. La ta'khuduhu sinatu wa la nawm lahu ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard. Until then. He said, Baba, Baba, it's going. And then it's gone. Subhanallah. That was so empowering. Now imagine if we had just gone to the child and picked him up and uh, comforted him. They, we would have always had to do that. This way, the child was empowered, mashallah, to use Ayatul Kursi. To use Ayatul Kursi so that he now has seen the power of it. MashaAllah, he'll always use it for the rest of his life. So what we need to do is that from all the evil that Allah has created in this world, right? Sometimes children do see visions and they do see things. And the reason for that is that their eyes have not fully developed yet. That's what I've been told, you know, at an infancy, at a young age, until it fully develops. So they might be able to see at different frequencies at which adults can't see. I mean, uh, the jinn can be seen by animals, like that's why dogs bark sometimes, they say, but humans cannot see them. And this is mentioned uh, very clearly. Uh, like a dog whistle, we can actually not hear the dog whistle, the, the whistle that we use for dogs. There's a special whistle, but they can, the dogs can hear it. It's at a special frequency. So that's why uh, Ayatul Kursi, Kulhu Allahu Ahad, 
قل اعوذ برب الفلق قل اعوذ برب الناس ايت الكرسي and uh, sorry surah al fatiha morning and evening read them blow on our children and ourselves and when our children gr uh, grow old enough two three years old let them learn it themselves and blow on themselves and inshallah they'll be protected from all of the evil which is out there so hopefully that's a good reminder for all of us about the power of ayatul kursi now let's start taking some of these uh, questions so we're going to start taking some of these questions uh, what we have here is when is the best time to offer salatul duha and salatul tasbih I'm not sure if that's Salatul Tasbih they're referring to. Salatul Tasbih, I don't know of any Tasbih, but Salatul Tasbih might be what they're speaking about. So Salatul Duha. So Salatul Duha essentially is after the sun has risen uh, a decent amount. Mid-morning, you could say. Because after, after Fajr, you have the sunrise. When the sun rises, there was a prayer then called Salatul Ishraq. Ishraq means the rising of the sun and brightness, right? It's... Uh, uh, which means that the sun has become bright so as soon as the sun uh, comes up over the horizon at least uh, you know it's completely cleared the horizon about a meter off the horizon you do ishraq prayer the prophet used to wait to do this prayer thereafter that there's many other ulama who say that there was another prayer that the prophet used to do which is called salatul duha in urdu they call it the chashed prayer right and that was done mid-morning so about an hour or two uh, about two hours later so you could say about any time after nine ten o'clock you could do it right so that that would be the time to pray pray that and you can do that all the way until before noon right so that that's the duha prayer salatul tasbih can pretty much be done anytime there's no recommended time for that prayer that could be done in the night that could be done at duha time at ishraq time at tahajjud time after maghrib after isha before uh, before dhuhr time uh, after dhuhr time comes in before the dhuhr prayer after the dhuhr anytime you can do that anytime uh, please just remember us in your prayers as well so that's that the next question is is it allowed in islam to comb the hair in a pathway just like this your own in islam is allowed to comb the hair in pathway just like this your own i don't know exactly what that's saying right whoever asked this question if they can clarify what they exactly mean by that i'm not sure what that means but essentially you are allowed to part it either on the side or in the middle that's not a problem parting the hair the prophet did both actually uh, he used to part in the middle and he also parted on the side so one of them was uh, something that the mushrikeen used to do the other one is what the ahl kitab used to do the people of the book so he said look i don't want to do what the mushrikeen do i want to do what the ahl kitab do because that they're closer to us than the mushrikeen than the polytheists so he changed his style but yes it is completely permissible to do a part a side parting or a middle parting the only thing that's blameworthy to do is essentially to do anything in which you're copying somebody that is considered irreligious and considered to be um you can say a uh, influencer of evil right influencer of not the right things if you're doing to copy that then then it's not right to do that but otherwise just having a parting for yourself is completely fine next question here my parents follow the hanafi mother when i went to university i found out that there are more madhabs than hanafi mother my question should i follow my parents mother or find out which madhab is good for me well um the way you uh, all four madhabs are fine to follow uh, in the sense that you can follow any one of the four madhabs but you then have to stick to one otherwise you're going to be really conflicting with methodologies because each one has a separate methodology and in uh, a number of cases they actually have separate results as well uh, my advice to anybody is follow the madhab that you have access to 
And in this country, the majority, you can say, uh, the majority is the Hanafi madhab. The, they have the largest, by, by far, the largest number of scholars and muftis and jurists and researchers and madrasas and uh, books and everything, right? So that's why the Hanafi madhab is the easiest. You have to follow a madhab that usually you follow the one that you have access to because they're all correct in their own rights, right? However, uh, when I follow a madhab, I will think that my madhab is the most right one. So that's usually the way it is. So that, that's what I would suggest. Okay, the next question uh, is, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. I have two questions. I can hear my next door neighbor's adhan clock, but this is different to my local masjid timetable. Which one should I follow? Go with your local masjid. Adhan clocks, they're just things that you program. And they could be programmed, some alarm clocks you can actually program to uh, the time of Makkah if you want to or the time of another country. They're just programmable things. So I don't know what the other clock he has or she has. So I can't tell you about that, right? So what I would say is that you just follow your local masjid. Uh, having said that though, there are some areas in London where there are multiple in three masjids uh, nearby to one another within two miles of one another. And they have literally three different times. And uh, that's fine. That's, what, that's, the, that's the reality in which we live. All I say is that you go by your local masjid, uh, but then if you're really confused about this, what you should do is you should educate yourself as to why there is three, and then try to find out uh, what, the, uh, what the verified opinion is and which one is superior, then you can go by that if you want to, but just don't go around causing problems for others because at the end of the day, I don't think you're gonna be able to sort that out, right? So you go by where your research takes you, otherwise you just go by the local masjid and that's the safest approach. Let's move on now. I would like to ask the scholarly opinion about a woman girl covering the face. Is it compulsory? There are many ulama who consider it compulsory and there's others who don't necessarily consider it compulsory, right? The way I usually see, this, uh, see the niqab is that the wives of Prophet ﷺ used to wear it and the women of Medina, Munawwara, used to wear it as well. So, however, it is a very, very difficult thing to do. Now, since you're asking this question, this is probably something you're contemplating. So that's why I'm giving you this answer. My answer usually to this is for anybody that asks me, I usually say, look, this is something that you could definitely uh, aim for and um, try to do it whenever you can, because it is the safest approach. It's the, it's the best for, uh, for protection, for your own modesty and protection. I've uh, asked a number of women. Uh, who wear niqab and those who don't, who just wear hijab and those who don't wear hijab. And usually those who wear niqab say that we usually stay very, very safe from flirting, you know, from others uh, making a pass at us, making comments at us, meaning, uh, you know, s sexual innu uh, innuendos and things like that. It definitely helps. Plus when you're like that, when you're dressed like that, it definitely helps. But what I would say is that, as I said, it's not easy. Uh, so what you do is you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah give me the ability to do this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me the strength to do this. And uh, if I can't do it today, inshallah, I hope to do it tomorrow. So uh, at the end of the day, that's the way you'll be able to inshallah progress in our faith. And that's with anything in our faith. Whether, wherever there's something that is difficult and complicated, you'll easily find the fatwa out there because the online has provided uh, all sorts of 
options uh, and all sorts of wrong fatwas in many cases as well. So you're always going to find something. I mean, there's even fatwas online about no hijab. I mean, that which is pretty much a, a consensus in the ummah that hijab is, is, is necessary, right? At least covering the hair is necessary for sure, right? Um, so you'll always find something. And then if you justify with that, I don't need to do it because I live in the West or I live in America, I live in the UK, then you don't grow. So the one thing is that if you can't do something, we ask Allah for forgiveness. We ask Allah for strength to allow us to do it. There's, you know, probably all of us do something, can't do some, can't do everything 100%. But inshallah, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to do it. Allow us to become stronger and allow us to eventually do it so that before we meet him, you know, we're doing everything to the best possible option. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy. Okay, my parents want me to marry my cousin. Can I marry my cousin? Look, marrying the cousin is definitely permissible. Let's put it that way. It's definitely permissible. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ married his cousin sister Zainab radiallahu anha. So, I mean, you, some people might even call it sunnah because the Prophet ﷺ did so, right? Uh, I mean, you could call it a sunnah in that sense. However, I, uh, it's up to you if you want to marry. I know lots of people who are married to their cousins and nothing has gone wrong. However, I have spoken to uh, both genetic, uh, gene uh, uh, genetic doctors and others who've done research in this regard. And they, they're always speaking about a greater possibility of things going wrong because of uh, certain genes that will match up and create a higher probability, they say, of some kind of illness or some kind of hereditary disease or something of that nature. Um, as I said, I've seen that in some cases, but in the majority of cases that I know where they've married their cousin, it's not a problem. It's not a problem at all, all right? So I, I, I would say that, uh, for example, my I, I'm sure my parents are some kind of second cousins or, th sorry, third cousins or something like that. And my uncle is the same thing, alhamdulillah, you know, there's nobody who's uh, got any kind of serious illness like that that uh, generally uh, mentioned in this regard. So yes, it's absolutely permissible. Um, you may want to take a genetic test if you really want to. Uh, some people might do it, but otherwise you're absolutely fine to marry your cousin if you want to. All right, let's deal with the next question, which is when traveling and combining Dhuhr and Asr uh, and Maghrib and Isha, so that I don't miss the Salat. If I've prayed Dhuhr, Asr, and I'm making a journey, returning to my hometown, the time of Maghrib passes, when I'm on a motorway, is it okay to pray Maghrib with Isha when I get home? Does this still qualify under combining when traveling? Um, number one, I, I personally do not combine because in the Hanafi school, we don't have combining. However, uh, the way prayers work is that you go by the end time. So if you are not a traveler at the end of Maghrib time, then you can't, I, my understanding is that you should not be able to combine. Right, because you're home by the end of Maghrib time. You're home. You are now a resident. So Maghrib has become now necessary on you, especially if you've not prayed it until now, to uh, as a resident. So you should probably do Maghrib now. You once you return home, you can't delay it now until Isha prayer. Yes, if you are probably a traveler and you follow the opinion of combining prayers, and you were still a traveler when Maghrib time ended and Isha time entered, then that's fine then that could be justified for those people, right? However, once you've entered home, you are cancelled in terms of you're not a musafir anymore, you're not a traveller anymore. So you should not be able to do that. Salams from Ireland. MashaAllah, salams from Ireland are very, very valuable. SubhanAllah. Allah bless you. I think the sister from Nigeria meant that can she give it a particular shape as it may be a fade or different short styles. I'm not sure about those. I'll have to figure those out. I don't really know too many about too much about uh, women's hairstyles. I'll have to figure that out. So apologies for that. Um, so yeah, 
Um, alhamdulillah. So that that's we have a caller. Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum caller. Sheikh, uh, yeah. please uh, tell me. Uh, I know how to pray with her properly. Mashallah. But uh, what I do is uh, uh, when because I used to live in Kuwait, people pray two rakah. Yeah, they pray three rakah together, but the the uh, mm-hmm. sorry, uh, uh, they sit in uh, sit uh, for tashahud second rakah. Good. Uh, no, sorry, sorry, just wait. I'm sorry. Uh, when in the second rakah they go sami Allahu liman hamida, and they raise their hand and they do dua and. The, yeah. uh, sorry, for the third rakah, and right. they go, go, they go, go and in. touch that, yeah. right? Right. Uh, okay. But what I do, I don't do that because I heard from other sheikh, you don't need to do that, but I make dua in my sujood, okay. in, in the third rakah. Is that okay? No, that's not, the, that's not a witr. In witr, we actually have a kunut. A kunut means just a prayer, right? Kunut means a dua. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, so that has to be done in the Hanafi madhab you do it before going into ruku so after you in the third rakat after you read your suratul fatiha and surah you raise your hands allahu akbar and then you do the qunut which is uh, which is allahumma inna nasta'inuka or any dua if you don't know that dua then you go into ruku and finish off. that that's also allowed in fact you could just say allahumma khfirli but preferably to do one of the sunnah duas which is like what you just said or allahumma inna nasta'inuka wa nastaghfiruk in some of the other madhabs they do it after the ruku, like you said. They they do the ruku. They stand up and then they raise their hands and they do it. So you have to do it in your standing, either before or after ruku, according to the different madhabs. There's nothing about doing it in in sajda. That's not an opinion, as far as I know. So you wouldn't, you should not replace that. Your witr should have it actually standing up before or after the ruku. After that, if you want to do, if you want to do uh, dua in your ruku as well in your sujood, you can do that. That's a separate thing. But kunut, uh, uh, witr has a kunut and kunut is in the standing posture. Right? So I hope you... Uh, d- 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 is that clear what I what I mentioned? No, it's not, Sheikh. Sheikh. Uh, okay, let me make it simple, Sheikh. Sorry, Sheikh. I'm, I'm a little bit... Uh, uh, how Rasulullah used to pray sunnah, witr? Uh, he used to stand up and do it. Okay. I pray first rakah, then second rakah. No, no, no. And yep. continues exactly. Then you go into the third rakat, exactly, and then you raise your hands and or yeah, you raise your hands, you do your kunut, and then after that you do your ruku and sujood as normal. There's nothing mentioned as far as I know. I've never come across anything about doing dua in sujood in your witr prayer, right? There's definitely a general hadith that when you're in sujood, then your duas are accepted. And usually we say do that in your nafal prayers. However, if you did it in your witr, that would be valid as well. But that is not the witr function. That is not the way witrs work. Witr dua is done throughout the world as far as I know. If you look in Makkah, Mukarramah, Medina, Munawwara, Indian subcontinent, wherever you go, they stand up and do it. In the yeah, third okay, I know that. Yeah, okay. My last question. Yes. Well, uh, it's, it's me. It's me. I... Uh, Sorry, Sheikh. Sorry, uh, I I pray first rakah. Yep. Second rakah. That's right. Third rakah. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. I raise my hand. Is that okay? That's one way to do it. I would say the better way is to actually do it before that. But that way is okay as well. But the 
the way I generally have seen to be superior is before, before that. Before right? when? Uh, you, you, read, you, you stand up for the third record, you read the Fatiha, and then you read the Surah or verses, whatever you're going to read. Then before, uh, before you would go into Ruku, usually, instead of going to Ruku, you raise your hands, Allahu Akbar, and then you do the Qunut. Then you go into Ruku as normal and finish off as normal. So, but that is, uh, it means I have to sit down in second rakah, tashahud, and then I stand up. That's right. Um, yeah, the, the madhabs essentially, all, the, they, all of the madhabs have just made an effort to try to represent the sunnah. Now, because the Prophet ﷺ did do different things at different times in his life, some madhabs took one aspect uh, from an earlier time, some maybe take it from a later time. That's why you have differences. That's why it's all fine. Uh, all of the madhahib are fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just when you, uh, when you ask that question about uh, madhabs and so on, it made it sound like madhabs don't represent the sunnah, right? And th this is just the propaganda out there, right? It's dying down, alhamdulillah. We had a propaganda for about 25 years, alhamdulillah, it's died down. We no longer have that problem causing friction in our communities, right? That's why I said, go and follow, uh, and, and mashallah, each madhab has their evidences, right? Each madhab has their evidences. If I knew that you were going to ask this question, I could, you know, bring you the hadith. It's just right now, I don't have the hadith by heart, right? So I could have mentioned the different hadith in where the Prophet did the, you know, recommended the different du'as and so on. And inshallah, maybe in the future we can do that. Jazakallah khair anyway. So um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless us. Let me, let me just finish off uh, this other question that we have. I wanted to ask after any surah or ayah, do you say that in Sadaqallahu al-Azim? You don't have to. Sadaqallahu al-Azim essentially means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told the truth. Yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told the truth. That's what Sadaqallahu al-Azim means. Now if you feel after you've read Quran, you want to say Allah has said the truth, Sadaqallahu al-Azim. Otherwise it's not necessary. I don't think it's even sunnah to say so. Right? It is just something that we can say, but it's not necessary to say that. And uh, it's, it's not like A'udhu Billah and Bismillah that you have to start with that. You just say, you just finish your prayer. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu ati'u Allah wa ati'u Rasoola wa ulil amri 